Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 across the Outkit network. Glad you're with us alongside Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Paul Koharski will join us in about an hour as we get the full Titans update. Chad Withrow and I falling apart. Falling apart at the seams. I haven't even told Chad this story yet, but I'll start with him and then move to my story this morning. Chad's having inner ear problems today. Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, inner ear or just uh, all of ear, because it's both out and inner. It's not one of those balance issues like an inner ear problem can have, but when I'm talking right now, I feel like I'm completely deaf in my right ear. So if I start shouting at you today during the show, I apologize in advance, but there's a weird pressure swimming ear type situation. It kind of started when I had a, a head cold, but then also got worse when I was swimming. So I don't know what all is going on. I'm going to the doctor in two weeks. Just bear with me on that. Hutton, what is your ailment today? I slipped and fell in the bathroom this morning and thought for a brief moment I broke my wrist. Ooh. Did not happen, though. Uh, it, so I, I just jammed my thumb really oh. bad, you know? Did you look down and, like, look for, like, a limp noodle well, so wrist for a second? Like, it's, it's done? I, I, in high school, like, freshman year playing baseball, I, I broke my right thumb. That's the only broken bone I've ever had. And... My mom, and she still laughs about it to this day, uh, she, she was like, oh, it's a jam thumb, no big deal. Like, you, you know, we'll, we'll just, it'll, it'll heal. The bruising will go away. And like two weeks later, I finally went and got a, uh, an x-ray and it was broken. So we had a cast on for about six weeks. And so I immediately thought about that thumb and, and started making sure I could move it, you know. But at the same time, like then years ago, it felt like a jam thumb too. So we'll see how this goes. But so far, so good today. On every, I iced it on the whole way here. I sent well, a picture. Uh, we're, we're the, I'm officially feeling like 40 years old now. We're the walking wounded uh, at this point, and it's not going to get any better uh, for us as we get closer and closer to 40. I've also told you this. I've got this trick pinky here <laughs> that you see right there, how, how off it is, uh, to where if I move my left arm and le left hand in the wrong direction and knock it on something, it will dislocate. Uh, I know that Lance Lee is squeamish about certain things. So if it ever happens in here, uh, Lance oh, will be really? the first Lance? to see it, where my finger will go at an L this way uh, and, and dislocate at the joint because I have no cartilage or ligament left in that left pinky from so many uh, basketball, uh, backyard football-type injuries where it's dislocated a number of times. So there's nothing left to hold it together. So I have to really guard my left hand because if I even hit it the wrong way on something, it's going to dislocate. I'm going to pop it back in place immediately when I see how gross it looks, and then it's going to swell up, and it's going to be very painful for uh, two to three days. Uh, broken bones for Lancer or Jakob? I'm assuming yes, based on the life that Jacob Swanson has lived. Uh, yeah, I've got a broken collarbone. Really? Right now. Right, in right, fact, yeah, he yeah. broke it on the way As over. This morning. As of this morning. It's really been a rough morning here. for our crew that he was skateboarding <laughs> on his way over here. 
Jake, uh, Jacob skateboards five miles every day to the studio, <laughs> to Blackbird Studios, and uh, a car cut him off, and he swerved, and he hit an embankment and then broke his collarbone on the way over. Uh, so it's, it's been a tough day so far. Well, a uh, tough week for the Indianapolis Colts with their injury problems and concerns. Carson Wentz, he's out what, five to 12 weeks, whatever you want to believe there, with a, a broken bone or the removing a bone in his foot. Uh, same for Quentin Nelson, who underwent surgery, and then posted this this morning on his Instagram account. Of course, the starting left guard uh, for the Indianapolis Colts. He, he said, look, F this. I'm looking at this as a challenge. I'm going to be back in five weeks and ready for week one. Not ready for week five. He's not on the same timetable. There it is. He says he's third surgery of the offseason in the books. No time for pity. F that. Truth is, I'm thankful thankful for the early part of the uh, timetable that says five weeks. That gives me five weeks to do everything I physically and mentally can to be ready for week one to smash these goals. That from Quentin Nelson. Uh, the question is, who is he going to be protecting if he's back uh, to protect the quarterback by week one? And who knows on that timetable? Uh, the, the by the way, Quentin Nelson, quickly, that's how it should be. Yeah, I love that mentality. I mean, I, I think 98% of athletes out there it, they're wanting to play their sport, and when they're told a timetable, if you say five to twelve weeks or, or whatever, you know the weird timetable that's laid out there, they're immediately going to think four weeks. Fine, I'll be back in four weeks. They're going to add a week on the front end of that and try to get ready at that time. So uh, I applaud Quentin Nelson for saying what we all know, pretty much every elite athlete thinks. By the way, you saw the Kellogg's logo. They are not a part of the show. They will be a part of primary complaint coming up in forty-five minutes. Mm. Uh, Philip Rivers. Uh, the L.A. Times, they uh, Sam Farmer, they're doing a story on him because he's a high school coach in Alabama now. And they, Sam Farmer went and asked him if he was officially retired, if he would consider coming out of retirement for one more year. He's played 17 years, 16 with the Chargers, one year with the Indianapolis Colts. And Rivers, who's a first-year high school football coach in Alabama, I believe it's a Catholic high school there, uh, said that, look, I'm retired, but I haven't officially put it away. Here's the quote. I'm just going to stay ready. I want to make sure I'm very clear. I'm not predicting I'll play in December or January for that matter. One, you've got to have somebody who wants you. And two, it's got to be right. But I've not completely ruled that out. That from Philip Rivers, uh, which makes it sound like he's committed to coach before he's committed to come out of retirement and play. The Colts would need him right now. Translation. Pay him. Phillip Rivers <laughs> is going to be the day one starting quarterback <laughs> of the Indianapolis Colts. I would put a lot of money on it. When you've got a guy who retired in a teary, emotional way at the end of last year, and we all sat and thought, this may not be the complete end for Phillip Rivers. The way he left the game in that loss in Buffalo, and now he's saying, I haven't completely ruled out playing again. You know, I'm getting in shape. And then he goes through his workout routine. Hey, I was a little heavy a week ago, but I'm out here in this Alabama heat, and I'm getting in better shape. He's playing. It's going to happen, whether it's week one or whether it's later in the year when his high school football season's over. By the way, he's the head coach of his high school team. Mm -hmm. Final game of their regular season's October 29th. That lines up, I believe, with week eight of the NFL season. 
so he could play the back half of a season. It's also and a very short season team. for high school, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's always – I guess they're not expecting playoffs for his team because the regular season always ends typically right around Halloween and they go into the playoffs for a month to go to the end of the season. But anyways, I read that Hutton as Phillip Rivers is playing and he's going to play for the Indianapolis Colts. That's, that's the way it's going to go down. We'll see. I, I, I said earlier this week, I, I, my first call would be to Andrew Luck. I'm not saying that I think it's hap- it would happen, that he was coming out of retirement. I think he's done. But I, w- I would at least inquire about that. And then I'm looking to trade for Nick Foles because he knows the offense. He, he knows Frank Reich in, in that system, plug-and-play player. Albeit, he would be in the same situation he was in Philadelphia where he replaced Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz eventually came back as the starter. We know what happened to Nick Foles. He's making a ton of money. But he's a third-string quarterback in Chicago. Hutton, this brings up another predicament, another personal predicament. We have our health issues we open with. Yep. Personal fantasy football predicament for me. Phillip Rivers is my guy. I drafted him for oh, eight right. straight seasons in fantasy football. Jessica on Twitter even says, I was going to ask Withrow who he's going to draft at quarterback this year since Old Man Rivers was out, and yet here we are <laughs> with Old Man Rivers possibly coming back in. Now, I'm not confident in Phillip Rivers with no offseason – and preparing to be a high school football coach to draft him again. So I need to find my next guy. I need to find that steady, you know, mid to later round quarterback that you can draft that's going to start for you uh, and get it done. So I'll have to start my research now. Could that player be Trey Lance, Chad? Could that player be Trey Lance? Because every day there is a new report about how Trey Lance is looking great in training camp for the San Francisco 49ers. Kyle Shanahan has said it's going to take a lot to unseat Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo's been very up and down, according to reports in the open practices in San Francisco. But Shanahan says he, quote, would be very surprised if Trey Lance is the 49ers' week one starter. Keep in mind, he's not saying week two. <laughs> he says, I'd be surprised if he's the week one starter. But the, the way that Lance has latched on offensively so far, and again, no preseason games. We're going to see a lot from him in the preseason, though. This is happening sooner rather than later. I think a lot of people thought this would be a wait and, and a sit and wait year. With the, the capital that they gave up to move up to the third overall pick in this draft, to select Trey Lance when they had their selection at quarterback, uh, and, and to make the pick, and knowing that they had Garoppolo, but choosing to keep... Trey Lance is eventually, eventually going to be the guy, Chad. It's just a matter of when. We all know that, but could the Colts inquire about Garoppolo? See, that's how the full circle now is complete because the media out west is saying Lance is showing signs that he was drafted there for a reason, not for the future, for now. That's how good he's been in practice. Again, I, I haven't seen much of his throws. You can make a lot of practice throws look really good. I'm, ta- I'm taking those reports for, for what they are. And, uh, and to be fair, Garoppolo has even said he needs to be more consistent. What's the better option? Phillip Rivers, um, knowing the system, having quarterbacked your team a year ago, and I'm talking about for Indianapolis, or Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, a younger quarterback than Phillip Rivers. Um, you're not, you know, with Phillip Rivers, you're not giving anything up right. to sign him. With Jimmy Garoppolo, you're going to have to give something up. I mean, I, I think you could argue Phillip Rivers is the better option if he's really interested in playing, which I believe he is with those comments. I don't think you say that you're, you know, I'm not completely retired and I haven't shut the door on it unless it take, you're, you're planning on playing or coming back. The, the problem with Garoppolo is it would take multiple picks and future draft compensation 
to pull off the trade. Um, uh, for instance, would be there, there was a report by Vic Tafour, I believe, uh, out in Vegas, who covers the Raiders. And if I got the reporter wrong, I, I, I apologize. Nonetheless, the report was it would take at least a third-round pick to trade for Marcus Mariota, the backup quarterback for the Vegas Raiders. If that's true, the Colts would have committed a second-round pick and then a third-round pick for Carson Wentz and Marcus Mariota in next year's draft. I, I just don't think they're willing to make that type of investment, knowing that, based on the timetable, Wentz could be back in five weeks. I'm not saying that's going to happen five weeks into the regular season. I'm not saying that's it's probably somewhere in between. It's week eight, week nine, where we're actually going to really start hearing the rumors of is he coming back to the to the roster or not. But Chad, this it, it's about what you're willing to give up and part ways with for future drafts to build around what your plan was, and their plan was Carson Wentz. If they don't start Jacob Eason or Ellinger or someone on their roster currently. And uh, they go, uh, they go this route mm-hmm. of either bringing back Philip Rivers or trading for Jimmy Garoppolo. To me, it feels like a give up on Wentz already because of his injury history. Because he immediately gets there and he's got a foot problem, and he's out for half the season. It feels to me like Indianapolis sort of, in a way, giving up on Wentz already. Starting Jacob Eason is saying, we believe in the guy we drafted in the fourth round. He can get us through a tough stretch. We can tread water, and then we can hand it over to who we hope is our new franchise quarterback in Carson Wentz later in the season. That seems like a practical approach, but if they bring someone else in, it's the opposite. Now to San Francisco, when they drafted Trey Lance, I thought to myself, this guy's starting week one. And it's more about style and uh, uh, coaching confidence with Kyle Shanahan. I don't believe that to be true if Trey Lance is drafted by a lot of other teams. But Kyle Shanahan seems like the type of offensive head coach that when he sees something and he wants it and he drafts a guy that high, he's not waiting around. This is not an acclimation period to get him ready and and sit out half the year or a whole season and learn under Jimmy Garoppolo or anyone else. You draft Trey Lance where they drafted him because you feel strongly enough that he's your day one starter. That seems to me like what Kyle Shanahan would want to do. That's why the more we hear about these good practice performances, Hutton, I start to think more and more that Trey Lance is going to be the guy very early in the season. And we're, we're at day two of pads. Yeah. So, so, again, who knows? But, but based on reports with Trey Lance, he's hitting a lot of deep crossers, those transcontinental routes uh, that Shanahan is known for calling. He's doing that while on the move, and he's testing defenses deep and being very accurate with the football. That's a good sign for a rookie that comes in with – it's difficult to really set expectations for when we hope to see him because they have Jimmy Garoppolo and a $100 million quarterback under center. Speaking of expectations, Chad Withrow, when we come back, assigns a grip on reality score for each SEC fan base. You've got some graphics and logos and grades to hand out I have, uh, when we come back. I've done some, uh, some preparation on this, and I, I'm going to clearly define what I'm looking at with these programs. And this is sort of a historic look at these fan bases while also assessing the 2021 season. And uh, I, I'm calling it the SEC fan base reality meter for every SEC team. And by the way, I'm including the two teams that aren't in the SEC right now but will be soon. 
I put Texas and Oklahoma on this rating meter as well. So we'll discuss. People are going to be angry. We don't care. That's what <laughs> makes the world go round. I'm going to upset some people. I'm fine with it. Brace yourself. If you're a fan of one of these teams, I'm probably about to say something that's going to piss you off. Grip on reality coming up right now. You can get a grip on your personal health with Gainful. When it comes to finding the right nutrition supplements to meet your fitness goals, you need a personalized approach. Thankfully, there's now Gainful, the personalized nutrition system that's formulated for your body and goals. Gainful gives you peace of mind that your protein, hydration, and pre-workout supplements contain the finest ingredients, especially for you. I'm convinced Gainful maybe can knock out this congestion in my ear because that's how good it's going to make you feel, and that's how much they can help you. You can get started by taking the five-minute Gainful quiz. Gainful considers your dietary needs, goals, and unique physiology to personalize your formula. Gainful also delivers your supplements with no shipping charge every month. You can cancel anytime or adapt your plan as needed. And Gainful's rigorous quality control process ensures that your supplements only have clean ingredients you can pronounce, along with zero artificial flavors, colors, or sweeteners, and there's a great offer right now. Well, you get $20 off your personalized supplements just by going to Gainful.com slash Outkick360. That's Gainful.com slash Outkick360 for $20 off. Gainful, personalized nutrition made for your tastes. Outkick 360 rolls on alongside Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton, live from Studio G in Nashville, Tennessee. Blackbird Studio is where we're located. The Blackbird Academy, nine world-class studios here, over 1,400 mics, 50 amps, 70 guitars, 65 full drum kits. They have a rental facility for Blackbird, but also state-of-the-art recording studio, which they're known for. You can go to school here theblackbirdacademy.com for more information on how you can learn studio engineering, audio engineering. You can be on the road. You can be in studio for production and much, much more. All things audio. If you're passionate about it, theblackbirdacademy.com. The McBrides and their staff, they flat out get it done. Uh, the reality meter here, extremely high. Grip on reality, <laughs> extremely high at Blackbird. Not necessarily the case for every fan base across the Southeastern Conference, and that includes Texas and Oklahoma on this list. Chad, you spent some time yesterday compiling the grip on reality meter for OutKick 360. And you're right in that we like to think that self-awareness is an attribute of yeah, OutKick 360, and uh, we, we try to always be aware. If you are a fan, which is short for fanatic, of your team, uh, awareness doesn't always go hand-in-hand hand with being a fanatic of your team. So what I tried to do was have a list of all 16 SEC teams, I am counting Texas and Oklahoma now, and look at their fan bases, and I know a number of people in all these fan bases, follow the SEC for years, cover the SEC for years, and taking a good hard look at just how reality-based these fan bases are year to year while also looking at it through the lens of 2021. Here's the definition okay. I wrote down of the SEC fan base reality meter, which we're about to show you my rankings. On a scale of one to 10, a fan base's understanding of who and what they are and how they fit within the conference and all of college football. 10 being the most aware, zero being the least aware for every single team. 
Let me give you three examples of a perfect 10. And these are the only three I could come up with. I don't know if I could find other fan bases that fit this. But if I look at a program's fan bases and a fan base in college football, knowing exactly who and what they are, and having realistic expectations every single year, three schools came to mind. One from three different conferences outside the SEC. Wisconsin, they know exactly what they are. They know exactly what type of player they're recruiting. They know exactly what type of style they're playing. They know exactly what the expectation is at Wisconsin. They don't get too carried away with it. That's a 10. Oregon, since Nike took over and runs Oregon, they know they're going to wear crazy uniforms. They know they're going to have a good time at games, hung out with a lot of Oregon fans, they came to Knoxville. They don't get too caught up in it. They don't get too upset. They know exactly what they are and who they are. It's more of an entertainment experience than a lifestyle for Oregon fans. Another 10. And the last is Iowa State. Iowa State, their fans, and I go to church with a number of them, they fully understand that they are lucky to have Matt Campbell and will do whatever it takes to keep him. And they know the moment Matt Campbell leaves, their program is going to be bad again. They know who and what they are. They know that they have got a once-in-a-generation coach that's having amazing success. They're willing to do whatever it takes to keep him there. They're very passionate. They're very loyal. They also know that historically they're not a good program. That leads us to my SEC rankings on the SEC fan base reality uh, meter. I'm going to go in alphabetical order. You can see them right now if you're watching. We've got assignments for every team and where they are on the reality meter for the fan base. I'll start with Alabama. 6.5 on the reality meter. Alabama is only scored down, and I've got a one-line description about all of these. I wrote for Alabama, scored down because of the bandwagon. The bandwagon for Alabama is too large to have a firm grip on reality. Why? Because if I said Dennis Francione to a number of Alabama fans you encounter, or Mike DeBose, they're going to have no clue who you were talking about because they became an Alabama fan when Nick Saban became coach of Alabama. So when your bandwagon is that big, you have a big segment of your fan base that's completely out of touch with reality of everything prior to Nick Saban. Now, Alabama fans rightfully believe they're going to win the national championship every year, and they can, and they're going to compete for it because... That's what they're doing every single year. See, I, I think Alabama, Chad, know, the fan knows exactly who and what they are. And I think you're, down, you're downscoring them a more, harsh, more harshly than I would. It's like stepping out of bounds at the Olympics, and you're deducted a tenth of a point. You're deducting them three points for that. Well, yeah, possibly so. But I'll also say this. I think that both the bandwagon Alabama fan, which is a lot of them, and the Alabama fan for life, yeah. both are fully aware they're the best program in college football. They know that. Yes. So that, I score up for that. I think the difference is the Alabama fan of the last 15 years that became a fan believes it will always be this way. And it's not always going to be this way. History has shown as much. So I score them down a bit for that. Razorbacks fans are about to be really upset with me. I put Arkansas to 5.5. The reasoning I wrote down was, it's all in in the state of Arkansas. And there's a couple other programs I'm going to mention with this too. All in in the state plus no real SEC success mm-hmm. to speak of. When you combine the two, you have a fan base that's a little bit more bubble-oriented and they think too highly of themselves and their program. Arkansas, 
since they came to the SEC, the majority of the time, while they've had some flashes and they've been to SEC championship games, they've been a bit of a failure in the SEC, especially in the SEC West. And in that pecking order in the SEC West, they are way down. Could they be better? Absolutely. Do they have a great fan base? Yes. Should they be better? Yes, eventually. Are they as good as that fan base and that state believes? Absolutely not. For that reason, not overly aware. Reality meter, pretty low, five and a half. Auburn, I'm putting them way down on this list. Why? Auburn believes they should be Alabama. And while I commend Auburn Tigers fans for having that belief system, the fact is you're not. You are little brother in that state. It's not as an extreme little brother situation as we see with some other programs in other states, but Auburn is little brother but you're, in the state of Alabama. But to be fair to Auburn, Chad, your, your reality meter reflects their perception of themselves. They're only a point and a half away from the Alabama grade. And I, I don't think Auburn has that uh, bandwagon factor that Alabama does. But, that, but I'm but, saying from the Auburn, they're saying they're close. Right. They're, clo- they're close to reality. There, there's an Auburn fan right now uh, screaming at his computer <laughs> saying, boy, Chad thinks we're a point and a half away from Alabama. <laughs> we finally made it. We finally made it. Right. No, you are less aware uh, than Alabama fans. <laughs> but also, I almost, you know, I keep them at five because there's not a big bandwagon factor. To me, it's the Alabama bandwagon factor that that's the only reason they're not a nine. On, the, on this list. It pulls them way down because that, that bandwagon factor is so big with Alabama. But Auburn, I'm putting it at five. Florida, 6.5. Florida rightfully believes they should contend for SEC and national titles. They believe that because they are in a talent-rich state. They have a very good program. They have a, currently a very good head coach in Dan Mullen. And Florida fans should puff their chest out and believe that they should win the SECs most years and that they can go on and win national titles. They've done it recently. Yep. The thing scoring Florida down is the new money factor. Florida is the epitome of new money. Florida was an irrelevant football program until Steve Spurrier got there. They were irrelevant even when Steve Spurrier won the Heisman Trophy. They became relevant when Steve Spurrier became the head coach. And because of that, they've become too nonchalant with their own success. And I think that lack of reality and perspective for a lot of Florida people scores them down. Am I, am I grading harshly so far, Hutton? You, you are. You think I've been a little harsh but on I some think of you're these being, fan bases? You're, you're being fair across the board with your harsh grading system. I, I would drop your class immediately if I were in college, but you know, I, I, I still respect your grading system nonetheless. Not everyone's cut out to be in the AP program, Hutton. That's all I can I'm say. I'm raising my hand and saying you, I'm definitely so. not. Um, Remedial. We're really skimming the fat here. We're, we're getting the, you know, the kids that are into the class, they understand it, they're ready to go to the next course, the other ones. We want you to GTFO from school. The only uh, thing in, in general, not just the class, we want you out there, of the university. There's one glaring uh, mistake with this I'm going to point out when you get to that school. Okay. Georgia, 6.5. Um, they understand their advantages much like Florida, and they've got a ton of them in that state and with that program. It's a great school, it's a great town. Georgia fans obviously understand this. Uh, the problem is 1980. <laughs> I, that's all I need to say to Georgia fans. It's 1980. That's the last time you won a national championship. was 1980. <laughs> and I don't see it happening anytime soon. And the problem no. in the reality meter is 
for Kirby Smart to be a success, he needs to win a national title at least, maybe multiple national titles. I want for Georgia fans to be happy. And again, 1980. I want the SEC Smack Facebook group to put what Chad just said on a loop because the trolls in the SEC Smack Facebook group do nothing but on a loop talk about 1980 for Georgia. Uh, and that's, I think that's the one thing throwing them out of whack is that their expectation for some reason is national championship or bust. And again, 1980. I'll just continue to repeat that over and over. Kentucky. I'm giving Kentucky a, a high ranking uh, on the reality meter. 8.5 for the Wildcats. Why? They know their football ceiling. What's the example? Mark Stoops. Mark Stoops was given ample time to suck at Kentucky before he steadily built it into a really good college football program. And that's where they are now. And Kentucky fans love that. Kentucky fans know they're not winning the SEC in football anytime soon. They are perfectly happy with seven to nine wins consistently, competing with some of the better teams on their schedule, uh, beating the hell out of Tennessee a year ago. You're thinking that that happens every so often. They're happy with that. Kentucky fans know what they are. I wouldn't say the same thing about basketball, per se, if we're doing a reality meter for SEC basketball fan bases. Football-wise, though, Wildcats, you get it. You know who you are. I'm giving you a high ranking on the reality meter scale. Let's go to LSU next. Giving them an eight. I think cultural awareness. We're going to find out this year where they are on that. Cultural awareness really rates high with me with LSU. Much like Wisconsin knows exactly who and what they are, LSU, that fan base, knows exactly who and what they are. They're a good time. They are passionate about their football, but first and foremost, they are a good time. That LSU program is a good time, and I think they have realistic goals. Uh, They've won a national championship very recently, two years ago. Uh, They've won with multiple coaches. When you go back to Nick Saban, uh, Les Miles, and now Mm -hmm. Ed Ogeron. And they're, again, this is, you know, comparing them to Georgia, their national championship aspirations, or at least to compete with Alabama for SEC West dominance, it's well-founded. No one can argue with that. LSU, even when Nick Saban and Alabama were dominating, that seemingly was the one game a year that you circled and said, well, it's going to look like a good game when they play LSU. Physically, LSU is not going to back down. For that reason, I think LSU fans all know that. I think they're very high on on the reality meter for that reason. Mississippi State, let's go to them next. 8.5. Not going to spend a lot of time on the Bulldogs. Sorry, Sarah Triplett, production assistant, who is a Mississippi State student right now. They're happy to be 6-6. They're happy to have a shot at relevance every three years. And that's perfectly fine because that's what Mississippi State should be. Historically, they are the second worst program in the SEC right in front of Vanderbilt. They're not good, historically. Dan Mullen is the example of a great Mississippi State coach. Consistently 6-6 six and six or better, occasionally giving your team a shot at true relevance. Well, and now and what I'm thinking about Leach the Dak do? Prescott years. Right. And that's, I think that should be the expectation for Mike Leach. I mean, ultimately, when he gets his guys in, his system going, I think 6-6 six and six with a shot at relevance every three years is the realistic goal at Mississippi State. I don't think we're going to have a big argument from Mississippi State fans that they're any more than that. Do you agree or disagree? I, to, to me, that's about where they think they'll be every year, right? And th- they expect one upset, and they expect to be upset once. As long as they win the Egg Bowl, they're happy. All right, I'm going to get moving uh, quicker now with the rest of this list. Old Miss, I gave them an eight. I, I wanted to put them square with Mississippi State because I think they have some 
even though it's very different schools and fan bases in a lot of ways, um, I think they have similar expectations. I'm giving them a half a point deduction for a Lane Kiffin swagger inflation. I think Lane Kiffin's swagger has added to the Ole Miss swagger. This is this was the Lane Kiffin effect. Don't worry, Ole Miss fans. My alma mater, Tennessee, same effect when he was there. It puffs the chest out of having Lane Kiffin talk a lot of crap to other SEC teams and on Twitter and makes you think you're better than you are. I think Ole Miss is suffering from a little bit of that right now, but just a little bit. I gave okay. them a half of – this is like a gymnastics rate. I gave them a half a point deduction for the Lane Kiffin swagger inflation. But they, they are better than what they think they are because they have Lane Kiffin. And, and the reason for that is they can, they can lose a game and we're, stalk, we're still talking about how entertaining the game was. Ole Miss, though, is still not going to anywhere close to competing with Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M. Yeah, but I don't think the And fans... that's where they should be. That, that's my point, though. They should be down the list of them. And I think Ole Miss fans understand that. So that's why I'm getting. Look, yeah, okay. I'm giving them a high okay. eight. Eight out of ten is a very high score. Oh, on Miss, yes. scale. I agree. So I'm I'm giving them a, a high score. I gave Missouri a seven. I'll be completely upfront with this. Uh, I don't know a lot of Missouri fans, <laughs> and I don't think Missouri fans know what Missouri fans are or what their expectations are. For that reason, for this nameless, faceless Missouri fan that I'm talking to right now, I don't think you can even label your own fan base or their expectations. So I just settled on a seven for that reason, with no real knowledge of it. Let's move on. I think you're way high on that. Uh, if we can't name them, I don't know how we can grade Yeah, them. I mean, I'm just trying to be fair to the Missouri fan and say, I guess, look, I guess you're in touch with reality and you're very self-aware because I don't really know what you are. And if I asked a Missouri fan to describe a Missouri fan and their expectations, I think you'd get a bunch of different answers from them because they don't even really know what their fan base is. But I'm assuming that they're pretty consistent with their expectations. Moving along, Oklahoma, nine. Only deduction. I would put Oklahoma at a 10. I would put them with Iowa State, Oregon, and Wisconsin. They know fully who they are. They are historically one of the best programs in college football. They are very much in touch with their own history. They are very much in touch with who they are under Bob Stoops and now Lincoln Riley. I gave them a one-point deduction for the move to the SEC. In terms of identity and awareness, and reality, that's the only reason I deducted them because while they made a business decision, I feel even stronger about Oklahoma in the Big 12 as having a full grasp on who they are. Uh, but I still gave them a nine. South Carolina, seven. Very similar to Arkansas, mm -hmm. but I think the South Carolina fan base has a higher level of acceptance of where they are in the pecking order. That is a state, while you have Clemson well, there, they've got a big fan base. They've got expectations there, but I don't think they're quite as high as Arkansas. But they're allowed to have the same high expectations as Arkansas because they're in the East and not the West. Like that, Arkansas would be greater, higher if they were in the East and not the West, right? Based he, on expectations. Yes, yes. But I also think that South Carolina, Arkansas fans believe they should be Alabama in the West. A lot of them do. South Carolina fans, even with Spurrier, in their height, and they made it to an SEC championship game, I don't think they ever fully believed, hey, we're Florida or Georgia, right? So I'm just giving them yeah, a higher yeah, yeah. score. It's a point and a half higher than Arkansas. Similar fan bases, point and a half higher because I think they have a higher level of understanding. Tennessee, this is going to be controversial to some. Eight and a half. Tennessee's the biggest riser in the SEC. Why? They have been mentally beaten down over the years, and I say this not as a compliment to the Tennessee fan base. They have zero expectations right now. 
there is zero excitement in Knoxville. And that's reality. We're, we're going to be in Knoxville doing some events this year, possibly for that first game. I get no palpable sense of excitement, of uh, pumping themselves up, of uh, putting a lot of belief in Josh Heupel or anyone. Why? Tennessee fans have gone through this repeated cycle of getting up for every season and every new coach so often now that it's killed them. I don't think it's killed them in terms of apathy where they're not going to show up to games and not support ever. It's killed their enthusiasm. And for that reason, Tennessee is very self-aware. Their reality meter is high because they know they're going to be bad this year. Mm -hmm. They know they're nowhere near Alabama, Florida, and Georgia and nowhere close in the next few years of those programs. They finally understand where they are in 2021. Will things change the moment they have some success? Yes. I bet if we have this in two years from now, if Josh Heupel scoring points and Tennessee wins a few games, they're going to go right back down to a three or four <laughs> and be one of the worst self-aware programs that's out there. And I say this as a Tennessee grad, as a Tennessee fan, they're going to go right back down the moment they have success. But right now, for the purposes of 2021, I'm giving Tennessee an eight and a half. Texas, lowest on the list. I give them a four. I think years of hearing, how is Texas not dominating? for Texas fans, has caused this constant state of confusion and an identity crisis. They think they are bigger than they are. They're also overrated in terms of passion. Texas A&M, who I'm about to get to, I think their fan base has more passion, has more pageantry than Texas. Texas is sort of this aristocratic, rich person activity on game days at times with games in Austin, that they don't fully, they know they want to be the best and they want to be elitist in college football, and they should be. They have every resource to dominate. But the fact that they haven't dominated has led to this constant state of looking for something better. They found the SEC. It'll be better now, I think, for them as a part of the SEC. But I'm scoring them very low for that reason. There's just a McConaughey cool to them that I, that I, I find the appeal with Texas. I mean, if I were a kid in high school and I had a top five of visits I'm going to go yeah, on, I'd you're go going, country. You're going Texas, to Texas is one of the five visits. Yeah. I mean, they, they, also, should be, they should be better. My one objection here to your whole, your whole scale, Yep. you missed a massive troll opportunity with the upside-down hook'em horns on this logo. I did. Uh, I, I should have I done that. And just acted like it was a mistake. Yeah, just, oh, just my, my not, bad. not accepted it Yeah, my at bad. All. I'm blaming on Jacob. Yeah. Um, and Texas, Texas fans, you can complain when you're actually in the SEC, which will probably happen, <laughs> will probably happen next year next after a settlement. Texas A&M, I'm giving them the same score as Oklahoma, nine. I think they're very aware of who they are. Now, you can complain about this saying, well, Chad, their fan base certainly was upset about Texas joining. Seems like How'd they vote? they're afraid of Texas. How'd they vote? They voted yes in the end, and their fan, fans can be mad all they want. But ultimately, Texas A&M knows what's good for the bottom line. Um, I, I put their fan base very similar to Oklahoma in an understanding and appreciation of history, but they also understand that they're less successful than Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So reality-wise, I think they're right in line with, with what they should be. Vanderbilt. I'm also giving them a high reality meter rate. Now, while the fan base is much smaller than the rest of the conference, they are fully aware at Vanderbilt that they are a perennial cellar dweller in football. They want to get out of that cellar. They want to have occasional success. Their expectations for football are extremely low. And I think Vanderbilt fans all identify with this one thing they do every fall. 
They root for Tennessee's failure. And for that reality of it and that self-awareness, at least they know it. The biggest thing that Vandy does every fall is they, they all get together and cheer on Tennessee losing. And I think as a fan base, they've united behind that. When their team doesn't have a lot to be excited about, they unite behind cheering against Tennessee. And for that reason, Vanderbilt, I'm giving you a tie for the highest mark in the SEC in my reality meter, a nine. I don't disagree with the middle portion of this scale other than Alabama. I would have Alabama much higher on on my rankings just because I do think the reality meter here, the self-awareness right now is extremely high for the Crimson Tide. Um, I agree with you on Tennessee, surprisingly. I I think the fan base has zero expectation, and that's having a very high grip on reality. But three years ago, four years ago, they would be right around the Texas level, probably four and a half, five maybe I would give them. Texas, Arkansas, they would be in that range maybe between the two. But they really, they rose fast this offseason with everything to being very aware of where they are. We go from grips on reality to complaining about Literally anything to get it off off your mind, off your chest. Primary complaint, we do this each and every Wednesday. It's Becca Risley's favorite segment, one of ours as well. You can chime in. You can email yours in, 360 at outkick.com, and we'll read some of those straight ahead. We'll give you our examples. Primary complaint next on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. If you're watching on YouTube, we appreciate you. And if you're not, we hope you'll go to YouTube eventually and hit the subscription button. Subscribe to the channel, ring the bell so you know we go live each and every day, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, every Wednesday at this time. Primary complaint. So maybe a little childish here, but I'm speaking on behalf of all adults. I, I want my cereal to be resealed properly. I want the Ziploc technology that is now available to all humans to be available in my life cereal box. Instead of having to crumble up that bag that's all ripped apart, you can never get into it easy, you know, and it's all ripped apart. I want the Ziploc seal. Kellogg's was actually recently asked this question, why not put the Ziploc seal on their packaging. And here is their response to one of uh, their customers. You may be interested to know our packaging team has explored the use of the plastic zipper type closure, like the world has. Uh, We have found that sometimes zipper closures do not close properly or food gets caught in the seal, which can lead to food becoming stale. We continue to look into many packaging offerings. We know you have high expectations from us and we appreciate the challenge. The challenge of keeping food from becoming stale, the challenge of resealing a, sealing a package that, that would properly allow me to not have stale cereal, T- to me this is just you being cheap and you're blaming it on the fact that food could possibly get stuck in the mechanism that would seal it properly. That's user error. That's not the zipper problem. Put that in your packaging, Kellogg's, and just admit it that, you know, it costs too much for you to put that on the bag, and you'd rather it go stale, so I'll buy another box of cereal quicker. That's my primary complaint. Hutton, let me be the first to um, applaud that complaint, because it's not something I've ever thought about, but yet it's one that I hear, and I immediately associate with the, the struggle that you're dealing with. I had cereal this morning. 
And I never thought about the actual act of just folding that plastic up and not having, this has just blown my mind. Just the, the zipper technology, the plastic seal, and how they don't use it in cereal boxes is truly remarkable that in 2021, we don't have this as a society. We so don't. this is, look, we shine the light on things here. You know, if the New York Spotlight. Times, if the New York Times isn't going to do it, we'll do it with stories Spotlight. like this. Right. We're going to, we're going to hit all the hard hitting stories like serial closures and how they need to be closed. Um, my primary complaint, I'm not going to top Hutton's, but I'm going to damn, damn sure try. That's for sure. Um, I've been very hard on NBC throughout the Olympics. And you know what? Rightfully so. Because they've sucked in, in many areas, quite frankly. Uh, Olympic ratings are down. That's not all their fault. Viewing habits are different. This is a very different Olympics. This is a COVID Olympics. It's a year late in Tokyo. The timing is off with everything happening in the middle of the night. You get to see some live track and field or swimming. I think Mike Tirico is excellent. There are some good things also. But let me give you one of the bad things about NBC's Olympic coverage, and I can encapsulate it in this one tweet of a video that was circulating yesterday. This is a tweet from uh, The Wrestling Room, and okay. it's a video that went viral of this woman who won uh, the wrestling gold medal, first ever African-American woman from the United States. And I had the name written down, but it's not in front of me right now. Hutton, Hutton can find it and probably tell me her name. I will. Uh, I told you earlier that four names is, is better than, uh, than two or three. She has three names. And uh, it's Tamara Minson Stock. Thank you, Hutton. Hutton's uh, eyesight better than mine right now. Uh, this woman was terrific. This video was great, raw, pure, real emotion. She is wiping her tears of joy with the American flag draped over her, showing national pride, talking about her country, talking about how hard she worked to get there, talking about her father's death, talking about how she didn't start wrestling until 10th grade, and now she is an Olympic champion, and how it's the hardest thing that she's ever done. It was great. It united people on both sides of the aisle. I saw Republicans, Democrats, independents, actors, musicians retweeting this video, and they were all thrilled to see it. You saw Americans respecting um, a Americans fellow American. Americans respecting a fellow American that loved being American, that won, that was victorious. But we didn't see it on NBC's primetime coverage. I have no idea who's making that decision. They showed highlights of the match where she defeated a woman from Nigeria. They didn't show the video. They did not show the interview on NBC's primetime coverage. That is a remarkable mistake to me. That's what everyone was talking about yesterday. And NBC, in their primetime window, failed to show it while showing that she won the gold. That's a huge error. Can't happen with something this big like the Olympics in your broadcast. That's my primary complaint. I don't know how you missed that opportunity. I don't either. That's the emotion of the Olympic Games. Well, I was showing it to Angie on my phone, the video of it, and we kept getting cut off because kids were interrupting yeah. us the whole time. So then the kids are in bed, I'm watching, I'm like, oh, here, they're going to show it because they're showing the highlights of her win, and then they just go right to you know uh, Greco-Roman wrestling or whatever was next in the highlight. It was ridiculous. you got to show that video. By the way, that was awesome. And I've seen different clips of it. That was one. There was another uh, answer she had about being an American. And it was just really cool because it was real, right? We don't like phony on this show, mm -hmm. Hutton. We don't like things that were fake. There was nothing fabricated about her excitement about winning a gold medal. I, I thought it was terrific. 
And pretty much everyone else out there thought it was terrific also, except for NBC. You can email in your primary complaint each week, 360 at outkick.com. We go to those emails might, now. Might I make a plea also sure. while we're having primary complaint right now? Send us audio. Uh, send us video of your primary complaint. We, we are a, a video medium now as well. Please, 360 at outkick.com. Uh, send us a video of your complaint. You can just record into your phone. It's very easy. If you've got an iPhone, you can hit that little arrow at the bottom. Goes to your email, you can send it right to us, and, and we'll have audio of your complaints. Well, we love it however, however we can get complaints from you. Primary complaint is better with you. We'll read them. We'll do whatever we need to, but please feel free to send in some video and, and audio as well. Ed writes in this week and says, my primary complaint, people pretending to be brides on vacation, just turning 21, scamming strangers to send them money for, quote, for shots by riding their Venmo on the back of their car. How can people be so gullible? And he shows a photo here of road trip with kids, uh, buy parent shots, question mark, and the Venmo information. Um, Ed, you would be shocked at the stupidity of some, some people. There, there, are, there are people out there that have Amazon wish lists that are guests on national radio shows like Howard Stern and they have listeners who will go on the Amazon wish list and just buy stuff and ship it to people. It, it is amazing what just by, by simply giving a link and saying, hey, buy me something, what others will do uh, because they're feeling generous. In this case, uh, maybe just to be funny, but it works. I, I think it's also amazing. This is a more prevalent, and I saw a news story about this, way more prevalent with bachelorette parties. That even yeah. on, uh, they're holding up signs when they're on a pedal tavern or on one of these vehicles going around downtown with Venmo information saying, buy me a shot. It is amazing the links that men will go to to be recognized by pretty girls. That's what that is. Like they want their Venmo account to show up on this girl's account. If it's $10, if it's $40, if it's $400, they want to get some sort of recognition from a group of pretty girls. That's all that it is. And it's sad that it takes you just giving money to a stranger blindly, not even knowing who it is, to get recognized by a pretty girl. But it once again shows the links that men will go to to get any type of recognition from a pretty girl. Matt is uh, complaining today, 360.outkick.com, reaction videos for everything on the internet. He says, my primary complaint, you know what I'm talking about. For, for example, the new Ghostbusters Afterlife trailer dropped today. I'm a huge Ghostbuster fan, watched the trailer on YouTube. However, now I see these other YouTube videos that are fan reactions to the actual trailer. Really? I saw the trailer. I don't want to watch a video of someone else watching a video and reacting to it. It's just so stupid. There is a video for literally everything now on YouTube. So... I'm going to tell on myself here. I actually like these videos of the, the like nerd people that can spot the Easter eggs in trailers. This is not like as bad as the kids who watch someone unwrapping a toy. You know, that's the whole YouTube video. Um, I actually enjoy watching where they'll stop it and they'll have someone talking over the trailer. Oh, and now you see this, and this could be a reference to that. I, I enjoy uh, those videos. Now, what I don't enjoy, and I'll agree with them on, is when you search for something on YouTube, Sometimes those will be the first things that pop up. Yeah. Like it's hard to find right. the actual. The algorithm the, sends you to that. Yeah, well, the, actual, the actual trailer, trailer. you yeah. know, it's not the first thing that pops up. It's or, this guy's, it's Den of Geeks 
reaction to the trailer. Or they they have souped up their own trailer of it, right? Like yeah. Um, oh, the people that like make the the edits. homage to a yes. to a movie. Yes. And you think it's it's like wait a minute, no, this isn't right. This is all scenes this is not the original from trailer. previous movies. Right. right. Yeah, I don't like that either. But I do like a good uh, like helpful because I see the trailer and then I'm like, am I supposed to know that person for some of these movies? So I have to go back in and then the people that'll explain it in four or five minutes, everything that's going on in the trailer, I, I'm okay with it. There's an industry for things like that for because of people. Like I feel that. like we get a lot of this with Star Wars, with with the oh, new Star Wars, any of the stuff. Marvel stuff. Yeah, a lot of reaction that. to the trailer that drops. Yeah. Or someone filming, you know, ESPN would drop it at halftime of the NBA Finals a couple years back, you know, yeah. and then that the reaction would be them filming themselves watching the TV and crying. Um, quick reaction to Ghostbusters Afterlife, having seen the trailer you, okay. a couple times also. Um, I'm a big Ghostbusters fan. You want to react to the trailer, go ahead. Yeah, as we, as we continue to talk about it. This is not a primary complaint, but I'm a huge fan of the original Ghostbusters, mainly because Bill Murray uh, yeah. is a great part of it. I think Bill Murray's probably going to have a cameo of some sort in, in this one. Um, it's a weird, it, it doesn't feel like the right time and place to bring back Ghostbusters. Like, of all the things that make sense to have a reboot of something or to go back into a story, it just seems like Ghostbusters from the 80s, it's not the right time to have that. And they've also very intentionally made this look like a season of Stranger Things. So much so that Finn Wolfhard, or whatever the guy's name is, the actor from Stranger Things is the star of the movie. (laughs) So I'm watching, I'm like, this looks just like it's Paul Rudd as a science teacher in the, in the small town, you know, his mom's a part of it. It looks just like Stranger Things mixed in with Dan Aykroyd's hand at the end of the, the trailer picking up the red Ghostbusters phone saying, sorry, we're closed. So it's a mix of nostalgia, but Stranger Things is all nostalgia. And then it's harking back to a time that I feel like is just weird to go back to right now uh, with Ghostbusters. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm conflicted for a series of movies that I actually really enjoyed. We are three minutes away from the Tennessee Power Hour. I'll also drop my five-minute description of the trailer coming up later on uh, Outkick.com. And then I'm going, I'm going to react to Chad's reaction of the trailer and post that Tra- on the 360 Hun's going to get pissed that he's going to search to watch the trailer, and mine's going to be the I'm first one find that pops Chad's up, reaction and first. he's not going to see the actual trailer. Yeah. Shout out Matt. I, I feel your pain there. Uh, PK checks in. A detailed, thorough Titans practice report from today's full-padded practice. A player was kicked out. Taylor Lewan has talked with the media and much more. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.